Loving greetings, my friends, from the Science of Mind Spiritual Center, a global community in unity. Thank you for joining me on this beautiful Christmas day. This day is yours to create in any way you so choose. Remember that today is a day of giving. So let's begin by filling our hearts with a spirit of love and joy and happiness, gratitude and compassion, filling our minds with that same joyous spirit. And let's spread that joy all throughout the day. Now I have a couple of reminders. First of all, I want to invite you to go on to our website at www.somspiritualcenterla.org and enjoy listening to the meditations and the talks. You can also listen via podcast. While you're there, consider sending in a prayer request, contacting a practitioner perhaps for one-on-one prayer work. You can also call our 24-hour prayer line at 818-325-2002 and join the Unexpected Income Program. Read about that program and you will really, really start to understand how just opening up your consciousness for something, living in an expectation and an acceptance of more abundance and more good in your life actually attracts it. Not only in unexpected ways, but in expected ways as well. Our next class will begin January 18th, 2023. That means next year. (laughs) I'll give you plenty of information in time for what the class will be on and the other pertinent information, but it's always on Wednesday. We Zoom every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8.30. And let's talk about the talks that I give on Sundays, today being a very special one because it's Christmas. Most of us listen to it on Sunday, some not. Whatever day you listen to it, if you're finding value in it, if, if you're becoming uplifted, inspired, if this is making a positive and meaningful difference in your life, then I ask that you give from that place. That's a place of gratitude and abundance. Whether we call it a tithe, a gift, an offering, Whatever term defines it best for you, it's really affirming that you are in the divine flow. So your giving comes back to you multiplied abundantly. Now, you may make a tax-deductible donation to our center anytime, weekly, monthly, or as an end-of-year donation if you'd like. But it's consistent giving that's important to you. As we give to where we're spiritually fed, obviously, that's honoring this law of reciprocity as well as the law of circulation. It's important to you because it's allowing you to acknowledge where you're spiritually fed. It multiplies you abundantly. And it's important to us because your gifts help support and empower the expansion of this global spiritual center 
and it provides avenues of opportunities for others to expand and prosper through the many organizations that we support, as well as meeting our own organizational responsibilities. So you see, everybody wins. Giving is one of those win-win situations. The giver is the receiver, the receiver is the giver. Of course, it is deeply appreciated. And as you know, it does take a village. It takes a village to get things accomplished. It takes a village to have new opportunities give birth to themselves. So if you would like to make a donation to our center, you may do so with a credit card through PayPal or from our website at www.somspiritualcenterla.org or also from the weekly e-blast that we send or by mail. And our mailing address is 14431 Ventura Boulevard, number 586, Sherman Oaks, California, 91423. Please feel free to email me. I love hearing from you. Let me know where you're listening from. If you're getting uplifted, inspired. My email address is faithfilled2 at aol.com. Each week, a portion of your generous giving goes to benefit one of the many organizations that our center supports. This Christmas Day, we are donating to the International Red Cross to help in their work to provide medical supplies, restore water and electrical infrastructure, and to provide shelter to those displaced by the ongoing war in the Ukraine. So please today know that your donation is making a huge difference in many, many people's lives. And I thank you in advance for the willingness to do that, to great consciousness that you want to share your prosperous consciousness with all people. This morning's opening treatment is an excerpt from a Christmas letter that Dr. Ernest Holmes wrote in 1951. And I just think it's such a beautiful portion of this letter that I wanted to use it as our opening treatment. And it starts out, my dear friend. So my dear friends, enjoy I greet you at this Christmas season. As our thoughts go back to that divine man who came to show us the way, the truth, and the life, let us light a candle in memory of him and pray that our light also shall shine, casting a beam of good cheer across the pathway of everyone we meet. We are in the hands of a power greater than we are, and we wish to become servants of this power, gladly following its divine guidance. Love is the greatest thing on earth and the highest gift of heaven. It is the only thing that can heal the broken heart and bind up the wounds of the world. As Jesus broke the bread of life with thanksgiving and in joy distributed the wine of spirit, let us, with equal love, follow his example. Together, let us know that we now take our part in helping to bring peace on earth and goodwill among men. In my heart, 
I take you by the hand and wish for you a Merry Christmas and a glorious New Year. And as we gratefully accept the power of these beautiful, profound words as the absolute truth, I want you to always know and remember that there is a power within you. It can lift your life to its highest level. It can change illness into health. It can bring success out of failure and victory out of defeat. It can bring companionship and happiness out of loneliness. It will respond to you. It is the power within you. And so it is. Our theme for the month of December, which will conclude today, is tis the season of giving. But let the season of giving from our hearts continue forever, not be over just because the theme ends today. Let us take this givingness with us every day, all through the rest of this year and into the many, many new years to come. This morning, I've chosen the Lord's Prayer for our talk because it's known as the formula for the soul's development. And I thought it would just be appropriate for Christmas Day, mainly because it's thought of as the most important prayer of all of Jesus' teachings. And Christmas is really about Jesus. There have been many, many great metaphysicians and mystics who have interpreted it, to name a few, Ernest Holmes, Rocco Errico, and Emmett Fox. Certainly the best known and most quoted in Christian churches is this prayer, perhaps their only common ground. And it is known, as I said, as the formula for the development of the soul. It contains the essence of Jesus' entire teachings. It is definitely a prayer of the heart, not the intellect. And it was actually designed to bring change about. And when it's used regularly and intelligently, it actually does. Let's look at the interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. And this is a compilation of many, many different interpretations. Our Father who art in heaven, what does that mean? Well, it really means that God is all there is, that there's no separation. Jesus was instructing the disciples to approach the Father directly. They didn't need any mediators. They could have direct communication with God, like a good father who is always approachable, benevolent, and kind. Jesus appealed to the good in people. He overlooked human frailties, and he saw beyond weakness to people's strengths. He knew that God wasn't a punishing God, that back of our mistakes, there's something that guides and directs and that does know when we think we don't. God holds nothing against us. When we turn to the divine, the past is more or less blotted out and a new future is created in that very moment. One of our great challenges as human beings, who all have made mistakes, is that we've held them against ourselves. 
because we've condemned ourselves so deeply, God then becomes a punishing and also a condemning God. But we must remember you're not your mistake, and it's no need to carry them around like they're burdens. God loves all his children. The first statement in the Lord's Prayer causes us to confess our union with God and with one another. Hallowed be thy name means hallowed is holy. Let your name be set apart, to be set aside for a specific purpose, dedicated, distinct. God is holy, apart from all error and evil. His holiness doesn't mean that he is unapproachable or distant or aloof. Jesus said to speak God's name in goodness and truth only. The next, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples that they should pray for God's kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that rules from inside the hearts of people instead of a materialistic kingdom that is imposed upon people from the outside. God's kingdom embraces all people in all nations. The measure of love is used for all. Kingdom also means counsel or advice. God's kingdom is a state in which God's guidance is carried out, but not with force and regulations, but with divine counsel and loving kindness. His counsel is just and balanced and the same for all. It will always lead us into the paths of blessing, solve our problems, individually and nationally, when we truly see it and act upon it. So what is our work? Well, our work is to look beyond just our own interests, bring more godly ideas into visible manifestation on this earthly plane. Let your wish be, as in the universe, also on the earth. As a father would want for his children, don't we want them to get along, be able to relate to others, be healthy and prosperous, have peace of mind, find peace and harmony in their relationships with others, that they have the wisdom and maturity to be safe? This is the will of God for us, to live, live freely, and live happily. If we seek to serve ourselves, we're ordering trouble, disappointment, sickness, poverty, and death on the physical plane. Whatever our desire may be, whether it's concerning our daily work, our duties at home, our relationships, or how we spend our own free time, we must remember to let God guide. And anyone who realizes that he already possesses the kingdom and actually lives in it, the promise is they will be happy, healthy, content, safe, and secure, and will live a life of peace, certainty, trust, and faith. Having told us to this point in the prayer, 
what God is, what man is, how the universe works, how we are to do our work and express the divine within us, and therefore radiate truth and life to all, he then explains what really nourishes us. And this line, give us this day our daily bread. Bread meaning understanding and truth, not just supply, food and material things, everything. Right now, whatever we need, whenever we need it, and for as long as we need it, it's here and available. As long as we realize the source of our supply is God, then all is well. It is this understanding that assures us our needs will be met daily and that our good, our supply, is not limited to employment or investments. All we need has already been provided. However, we need spiritual enlightenment to bring it about properly with good to all and harm to no one. Jesus spoke of himself as the bread of life. His truth gives us an understanding of life and of God and of ourselves and of our fellow man and really of the Christ consciousness, the anointed consciousness, not Christ as a person, but Christ as a consciousness. Material things alone can't satisfy us. We must live by the words of truth and guidance which come from the divine, a higher being, a higher source, a higher power. By maintaining our spiritual focus and a system of values based on spiritual understanding, we will be led to obtain in good and right ways all the things we need. We must use the intelligence and the understanding that we were given to discover resources for the betterment of all humankind. That's the work. It's the betterment of all humankind. This is world work. Wealth is good for everyone when it is circulated and properly shared. The next passage is the turning point of this famous prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the key to the soul's unfoldment and to enlightenment, as it addresses the critical factor of forgiveness as the central challenge of life. The literal translation, as per Rocco Errico would read, free us from our offenses as also we have freed our offenders. It's something more than debt. It also means faults and mistakes. Forgive also means to free, to untie, to loosen, to release. What makes the teachings of Jesus so powerful and appealing 
is that he was a strong advocate of forgiveness. We can remember that during this Christmas season. Yes, it is the season of giving and forgiveness. Through his own experience of life and studies, he knew that nature doesn't blame or point fingers when things go wrong. He knew that nature heals and corrects. So if you cut your finger, the life force in the body starts to heal immediately, warding off infection, probably even coagulating the blood, and the skin comes together. The body doesn't seek out the one who did the damage. Its only interest is to repair the wound. Forgiveness is the beginning of enlightenment. This is the season of light. So forgiveness is the beginning of your enlightenment. The love of God includes the love of humankind. Yes, even the difficult kind. Our closeness to God includes our closeness to each other for we're all one. We can only be forgiven if we forgive. If we keep on hating, we shall attract hate. But forgive us our debts, trespasses, as we forgive our debtors, those who trespass against us. This is within the reach of all, while at the same time showing that we shall suffer as long as we impose suffering. The universe doesn't make exceptions to our individual case. We can't say, oh, I shall enjoy the love of God, but I will not share it with others. Now, if you've been practicing universal principle at all, you know the truth in the following statement. It's only as we share that we possess. It is not the act of another against us that we need to be concerned over. It's how we feel toward them. When we hold grudges and allow them to build up in our minds, we suffer mentally and physically. Which doesn't mean that when we see trouble coming, we shouldn't step out of the way. By all means, sidestep it. You can forgive them and still stay out of the way. Whenever you think that someone or something is wrong, just forgive yourself for thinking that thought. And whenever you think you're wrong, forgive yourself for thinking that thought. You could say to yourself, this may seem wrong, but what do I know? There's probably something here that I need to look at and I don't want to see. And that's why I think it's wrong because I don't want to look at it. The willingness to look at the things that we condemn is the fastest way to dismantle guilt. Whatever or whomever you think is wrong shows you what you think is wrong with you. That is guilt that you have accepted. 
Look at it, or it will keep running your life. Stop trying to make illusions true. Stop trying to justify your judgments. This is what deepens the conviction that you're separate from others, therefore separate from your source. See, what really bothers us is our guilt. Look at everything that bothers you and forgive yourself for taking it so seriously and so personally. Remember what another does or says is not about you, it's about them. That's a difficult one to remember, especially if you have any desire to have another's approval. But it's really the truth. We have only one person to forgive on this journey, and that's ourselves, because we're the judge, the jury, and the prisoner. What I discover in many instances is that everything that I thought I did to someone else was some form of self-punishment. I'm the one that has to live with the guilt, not them. And most of you know that the more guilty you feel, the more you beat yourself up. Projecting it onto someone else and beating them up really only adds to the guilt that you already have. And all of this nonsense is based in fear. So the only way out is to practice forgiveness for yourself and for others. You are the offender in your life and all that is projected is what you think is wrong with you. Stay with you. It's your hurt, your torment, your burden. Forgive everything that you think is wrong by forgiving yourself for just being in judgment. That's what Jesus did. Judge not by appearances. Look at every judgment you make with compassion for yourself and the person or the situation that you're judging. Don't justify your judgments and you'll not make your illusions real. Justifying your judgments is edging God out because that is the ego doing its perfect work. Guilt is just nonsense. It's an emotion, a feeling, whatever you want to call it, that if you continue to have, you'll continue to have and you don't really have to do anything about it. But you're not guilty of anything unless you believe you are. And while you believe this, you need forgiveness. It's the only way out of your self-imposed illusion. Here's another interesting morsel. If you really believe that you can hurt another and that this other can hurt you, it means you're living apart from God. Obviously, this is not true, or the whole universe would destroy itself sooner or later, and there would be confusion, disorder, and chaos everywhere. Some do believe this, and that is the real basis of sin, self-inflicted nonsense, 
of resentment, of condemnation, of jealousy or remorse, etc. Jesus drafted a declaration in the Lord's Prayer, which would force us, without any possibility of escape, evasion, or even mental reservation, to execute this great sacrament of forgiveness. If there is a gift that you could give yourself this Christmas, it is forgiveness. And you are truly the only one to forgive because that forgiving you forgives everyone and everything else in your past. And we cannot demand our own release before we have released our brother and sister, no matter how much we've suffered. It must be done. The willingness to forgive is essential. If you can't get to forgiveness, at least get to the willingness to forgive. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Boy, this clause is controversial. Many feel that God couldn't lead anyone into temptation or into evil in any way. So the words don't ring true to some. It means as we advance on the spiritual path, new and powerful temptations will be there waiting for us if we aren't careful or mindful of them. Temptations and trials come from where? Materialism or worldliness. In other words, it means don't let yourself be deceived by the materialistic way of life. It doesn't mean that we're to avoid using material things. It's not literal. Rather, we're not to lose ourselves in them. Don't let yourself be deceived by the materialistic way of life. Doesn't mean we're to avoid using material things. Rather, we are not to lose ourselves in them. When materialism dominates our thinking, we see only the effect and not the cause. The spiritual principle of supply, and then we've lost our balance. Evil means error or mistake. When we depend on God and not only what our eyes see, which is effects, or on physical desires alone, we will be able to avoid many troubling situations. The divine will guide us to be restored, and we can learn by our mistakes and go on to new and better ways. We're to make gains, yes, but not at the cost of hurting ourselves or others. We are to continue to have greater good and our needs met, However, it ought to be done with the idea of circulation and not just accumulation, since the balance of the entire universe depends on the circulation of the good which nature provides. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's look at the literal translation. The literal translation would be, For belongs to you, Kingdom, power, and glory from ages to ages. Amen. Sealed in faithfulness.
At the end of the prayer, Jesus acknowledges the source of the power we need to carry out the truth expressed in this prayer, the one who makes possible the attunements that we have affirmed. It's expressing that the Father can do it all. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the advice, the counsel, the power, the glory, the magnificence. It is yours. You have what it takes to provide for our needs. The prayer closes with Amen. In Aramaic, it means faithful, truthful, and sincere. Also means sealed in truth and trustworthy. When we say Amen, we're individually saying, I'll back it up. Everything I've said, I'll be faithful to. In Jesus' day, people didn't usually make written contracts. They made verbal agreements. When they completed the agreement, they would say amen to each other, meaning I'll keep my side of the bargain. Amen means a commitment. It's saying I'll be faithful to this. It is acknowledging our willingness to work with that which we've affirmed and for which we have prayed. We are believing that we will receive our requests. And now you have the formula for the development of the soul. It belongs to you, the kingdom, the power and glory from ages to ages, sealed in faithfulness. And so begins the Christmas lesson. Thank you. And now if you'll join me in the closing treatment, it is another Christmas letter from Ernest Holmes that has no date. So join me in this beautiful Christmas letter from Ernest Holmes. Christmas is for remembrance, the love manifested through our gifts to each other typifies the offer of life and the givingness of spirit to its creations. The hands of the eternal are outstretched through our hands and the heart of the infinite beats in the human breast. The giver must give of oneself for the gift without the giver is bare. It is not then in lavish gifts that we find true giving. It is in the sweet simplicity of remembrance, in the kindly thought, the tolerant mind, and the gentle act. Love alone can give love. Sympathy alone can sympathize, and only goodness can really do or be good. The one who gives for reward does not give at all. He or she seeks to bargain, to trade for spiritual gifts. Hence, he or she senses a loss in their own giving and finds no completion through the act. He or she who gives half their meat to the hungry feels justified and is warmed by a real sense of comradeship.
he or she has established an actual unity between himself or herself and other offspring of creation. Great causes succeed when there is a giving of humanity to humanity. With the check must come the one who wrote it, his or her interest, his or her enthusiasm, and his or her love. And the check must be a symbol of one's desire to impart of oneself. Then shall it multiply its benefits and do good. Charity is cold and love is warm. When heart speaks to heart, a divine conversation has taken place, a heavenly discourse. Each of us has something to give. Let each see that we give of our best. If we are bringing up our gifts to the altar of love, nothing less than the best will be acceptable. Nothing less than all is enough. May the real spirit of Christmas, the giving of the self to life, enter and abide in you now and through all times. The light of God surrounds us. The love of God enfolds us. The power of God protects us. The presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is. All is well, and so it is. And now, my friends, you go forth as messengers of loving kindness, faithful and true givers of light, and make known this truth so that your life continues to increase in value by simply sharing the value with someone else. Until next time, stay safe, be well, be kind, especially to yourself, and have a very, very happy holiday season. Namaste.